All right. Well, if you want to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 5, we're going to finish up Deuteronomy 5 today. And uh, and we'll see where we go here. I uh, I was going to not say it, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Maybe a, a little hope here. But I was kind of hoping it's a, it's a shorter lesson. But it also has, uh, I mean, we can take some some pathways to make this a much longer lesson. But I was kind of hoping maybe at the end here to have a little bit of time uh, for any questions that you have had so far in Deuteronomy. I know we don't do a lot of back and forth, um, but this this could be a good opportunity for that. And even if it's not, at some point, I think that would be good because there's a lot going on here and there's a lot to grasp, um, especially reading the Old Testament, especially reading the Old Testament as a Christian that's part of the church, a a Gentile Christian. Um, And we've talked about that, I, I hope enough, that we, we can understand how to read the Old Testament, how to understand these things were given to Israel by God as the nation of Israel, yet at the same time have have um, a lot to say about the character of God, His holiness, how to worship Him, and at the same time we don't submit to the law in the sense that this is a law for us. And so um, I feel like we've consistently talked about that. We've consistently looked at the New Testament, even talking about the Ten Commandments and how those things, like Christ said, are grounded in love and how Christ repeats many of those things in the New Testament and, and calls us to not only do the outward, but to, um, and so Lord willing, uh, it's been clear, but at the same time, um, I, I would love the opportunity to help, um, clarify or to help shepherd if there's any places that haven't been clear, um, or anything like that. But let's jump in real quick. Uh, like I said, we're going to finish up Deuteronomy 5 today. I'm calling this the presence of Yahweh at Sinai. So uh, we're looking at, uh, really, this is just kind of the very end of uh, the Ten Commandments. And, and Moses is telling Israel, reminding Israel, of uh, what happened on the day that God spoke audibly from the mountain and gave them the Ten Commandments. Last week, we looked at the Ten Commandments. We looked at the purpose of the Ten Commandments. We looked at the relevance of the Ten Commandments for the church. Um, we said that the Decalogue was a covenant agreement made uh, with Yahweh, God, um, and the nation of Israel, not us. This was, a, this was a conditional covenant made between him and Israel. This, does not, this is not a covenant with the church. Uh, and this is something that he has called uh, Israel to faithfulness to. And there's blessings and curses attached to it um, if Israel is or is not faithful to this. But this in no way... Or, or nullifies the Abrahamic covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob hundreds of years earlier, uh, nor the effect on the Davidic covenant that he makes as an unconditional everlasting covenant with David, or the priestly covenant that he made with Phineas uh, during the time of the rebellion um, when, the, uh, when this generation uh, was uh, engaging in immorality and idolatry on the plains of Moab. Um, this is a covenant between him and the nation of Israel, and we'll talk uh, a little bit more about that today. Um, and, and why he made this covenant. But we did see that you gather a great understanding from the Ten Commandments about, first, uh, how to worship God, uh, how to love God, um, and how to love one another. Um, and, uh, and we saw that, and we saw that, really, in the end, Jesus Christ becomes the, the, the um, image of what this love looks like, both towards God and others. Uh, he becomes the one that we exemplify as the perfect human, the perfect man who came and actually fulfilled both the law and lived a perfectly holy life so that Christ can now say, 
uh, uh, love one another just as I have loved you. Prior to that, it was always love, right? We love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But Christ fulfilled that and did that and can say, love one another the way that I have loved you. And so we talked about that last week. We talked about how Christ in Matthew 22 says, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment of the law? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. So to study the law without understanding that the basis of it, the foundation of it is love. And then it is, the, it is God giving us uh, the, the outworking of what it looks like to love others and to love God. If you, if you teach it without teaching love, then you miss the whole point of the law, which is where the Pharisees went, which is what Shane is talking about in Matthew 23. They made a religion out of, out of the law that lacked the very essence of the law, which was to be completely faithfully devoted to the Lord and love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love one another. So today we're going to finish up Deuteronomy 5. We're going to look back at that historical day when God, Yahweh God, showed up at Sinai to audibly speak to his people these commandments that we talked about and to understand better how they received the rest of the words that God gave them in the, in the Pentateuch. I thought it would be helpful uh, to also look back at uh, Exodus 19 through 24 today because there's a narrative in Exodus 19 through 24 that helps make it helps you to understand what he's talking about in Deuteronomy 4 and 5. I mean, this may be something that you know, this may be something that you've read about and you understand, but it may not be. And so when you read Deuteronomy 5, especially this ending, without an understanding of what actually happened back in Exodus 19 and 20, well, then uh, it, it, it doesn't make as much sense. I think it's that way with a lot of stuff. Um, one of the things that's been helpful for me has been studying Deuteronomy. This is my first tangent. And I meant to put these up. There's a little stack of books and some DVDs over here that I was going to put in the back so you could see them, but I forgot to do that. You want to do that, Fred? Uh, but uh, being able to, like, and again, I, I wish I had been able to go over to, at this point. I mean, I hope this comes in the future, but to be able to go over to uh, uh, Sinai, to go over uh, and see where a lot of this stuff takes place, uh, I've been I've been watching different videos and, and reading different books talking about the the historical account of both the Exodus, the Red Sea crossing, uh, where Sinai is, all of that. It helps all of this make so much more sense. And we talked about that with the maps, right? I mean, I showed you guys the maps. We looked at Moab and Edom. You see where Midian is. You see where Ammon was. You see what they did. You know, because if you just read, they circled the mountain for in your head, you read that in English and you just, you have this idea that just a bunch of dumb Israelites wandering around a mountain aimlessly. Right. But then if you read what they actually did, it actually makes sense. They, they were going around an entire mountain range. They were not permitted to go through, uh, the, the land of the Moabites, right. Or no, uh, Edom wouldn't permit them to go through. And so they had to circumvent and go around this area. And then you start reading it and it makes so much more sense. And you see them cross the river Zared you see them cross the, the river Arnon and you understand what they're talking about and you see when you start seeing the borders and all that it's like we i I, uh, equated it to if you were talking to somebody here and you're like well you just head west cross the mississippi and you're on your way to arizona you know and it's like in your mind that all frames up and you know what we're talking about you know the mississippi's river you know that's a big river that kind of divides the nation you know arizona is further west but not as far west as california all those things are happening in your mind because you understand the geography and you live here well it's the same thing with the bible not understanding the geography uh, really uh, cripples us in a lot of the words that he speaks. And so understanding the geography, understanding the, uh, the, the, the history of it, and that's, even that's our hermeneutic. We teach both what the, the 
the language says, the, gr- the grammar, the Hebrew and the Greek, but then we want to know historically what is happening and what is going on because that helps you to get the best understanding of what the author intended, what God meant when he spoke to these people, what Moses meant when he wrote this stuff down. That's where we're getting at. And once you get the, the understanding, the authorial intent, then we can say, well, then what are the implications on our life, understanding whatever it is, um, but, you know, you don't want to read into the context, our culture or whatever we, you know, we think it means or whatever if we feel like it means. You're trying to get at what it actually means. So all that being said, there's some really good books in the back. I did not know this world existed until I started studying Deuteronomy. But there is uh, not only controversy about whether or not the Exodus happened and whether or not the Red Sea crossing happened and whether or not Mount Sinai is an, an actual uh, historical event. But even when you get into our camp where we believe all of that is true and there's inerrancy in God's word, there are still many debates about where these things are, both because of of, uh, historical things that, you know, just have become traditions um, and just because of sometimes uh, not reading carefully what the the word of God says Um, and just the fact that it's 4,000 years ago and there's not a lot of archaeological evidence out there uh, for some of these things. Does that make sense? So all that being said, though, what these books I feel like do, and, and this, there's, a, there's a set of uh, movies that this guy Tim Mahoney has made. It's called Patterns of Evidence. And it's kind of his work. You know, you got Ken Ham and the Answers in Genesis. You got all these creation scientists that are out there. And you got the three big creation science uh, institutes that are out there trying to teach what the Bible says about the origins of the universe and the earth and man and all that as opposed to the evolutionary narrative that's out there, right? And we're all, I feel like that's something we're very familiar with. But when it comes to this stuff, I didn't even know that it was a debate and I didn't even know that there was discrepancies and I didn't even, in fact, a couple of the maps that I showed you on day one that I got from commentaries, I I now think, I'm not not sure that's actually accurate uh, because, again, a closer reading of the actual narrative of Scripture and then taking that and then looking at at some of these maps, and it's like, well, that doesn't that doesn't make sense. Does that, so anyway, I'm 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 in the process of growing through this, but it's a whole world out there, um, and I've learned in the process that just like everything else, you know how we naturally suppress truth and unrighteousness. Well, archaeology does the same thing, and there are ar- archaeologists that purposefully suppress finding and 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 hide things. There, there even have been reburial of some things that that we've uncovered purposefully because of uh, uh, political stuff, um, uh, because they want to control narratives about the, the origins or the people that own certain pieces of land. So again, you, you just have to use wisdom, use discernment, lean on the Word of God, um, and just, just keep digging. You know what I mean? So anyway, there's some cool resources back there uh, that I'll tell you a little bit more about as we go. But that being said, that was a long-winded way of saying, why don't we start with Exodus 19? So open your Bibles, Exodus 19 first, because I think reading what happens in Exodus 19 uh, through Exodus 20, verse 21, helps you to understand what's happening in Deuteronomy 5. And like I said, this may be something that you are familiar with. It may not be. So either way, I think this would be a helpful endeavor. Now, this is something else that I've also been wrestling with. You know, I've got this Bible here that I've studied since seminary that I've got all my little notes in that I just know where things are. But one of the best things that I feel like, especially after the uh, last two weeks, um, is understanding the, the, the name Yahweh. You know, we talked about that last week. And um, I love this. If you guys don't know about the Legacy Standard Bible, it's a translation. It's really the NASB, like, 
uh, with with a, a, a few nuances. Um, but um, the uh, a bunch of guys, there's a group of men out of Masters that help put this together. Uh, but what they, one of the things they do is they go through and every time the, the, the name of God, Yahweh, is used, they put it in the English translation, which is very helpful. Now, in your translation, it's usually a capitalized Lord, L-O-R-D. So you can see that. But when you start reading in this translation, you see how often the name is mentioned. I think last week we talked about it. It's mentioned 6,300 or 800 times. I mean, it's a ton of times. God makes himself known by his name that he disclosed to Moses and the nation of Israel over and over and over and over and over in the Old Testament. And seeing that name and understanding this is the only God and this is the name of our God, I think... It, 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 it reads different. Does that make sense? And so I'm going to attempt to do, do that today. It's hard, like I said, because I feel like I have all my, my notes and my markings and stuff like that over here. But I'm going to read in the LSB. Um, I read through this one time last year, and it was really good. But I just it's just too clean, and I don't know where things are. <laughs> all right, but look at, look at Exodus 19. We're going to read this together. I'm going to read Exodus 19, 1 through 20, verse 21. And then we'll read Deuteronomy 5, and it, it's going to make a lot more sense. And so in Exodus 19, it says, uh, let's see, in the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. So basically this is two months of of walking um, to get here uh, to, to the wilderness of Sinai. On this day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. By the way, Understanding the name, the, the word Sinai and sin, the, uh, when it talks about the wilderness of sin, it means the wilderness of the east. When it talks about the wilderness of Sinai, it's like saying the far east. Does that make sense? So Mount Sinai is the name, but it's the mount in the far east. And that helps you to understand when the Israelites are talking about going to the wilderness of sin or the wilderness of Sinai, it's talking about the far eastern part that, you know, it's kind of how we talk about like, you know, we're in the east, but the far east, you think of what? Asia, right? China, that kind of stuff. And so it has the same sort of connotations in the Hebrew. Um, So it's given you not only uh, directions, but it helps you to understand where they are going. So they came finally to the wilderness of the Sinai. That's the desert of the Far East. Uh, And it says, Then they set out from Rephidim, and they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Now this, this mountain that he's talking about is Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Um, which is mentioned right before this. And they were in Mount Sinai. We know this from Numbers 10, verse 11, for 11 months and five days. So they're here for a long time. Verse 3, now Moses went up to God. Now notice this. This is something that helps you to understand what's going on. Moses goes up, he talks to God, he comes back down, he talks to Israel. He goes back up, he talks to God. He, like Moses is going back and forth. All of Israel's not. Israel's standing at the base of the mountain. There's only one time where God speaks audibly to the entire nation. Everything else is given to Moses as he goes up on the mountain. But again, if you don't read it carefully, you're just like, wait, what's going on here? You know, it just, you, you just can't picture um, uh, what Moses is doing and what's going on. So Moses goes up to God and it says, And Yahweh called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I lifted you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So, again, understand the story. Moses was out in the the desert of Midian with Jethro's sheep. 
he saw the burning bush, God on this mountain, God told him, I want to send you in to go get my people and bring them back to this mountain. So all that's happened. That's the whole Exodus, the whole Red Sea crossing. And now they are here and God is telling Moses what to tell Israel, why he is doing this. So he says, tell them, you've seen what I did uh, to the Egyptians. I lifted you on eagle's wings. That means very quickly. He got them from Egypt to this mountain quickly and by his own miraculous uh, uh, powers. Um, and he says, and I brought you to myself. So he's here to meet them here at this mountain. So now then, if you will indeed listen to my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. So again, right out the gate before he even gives them the covenant, he, he's already told them they're listening. They're doing, we've talked about that. That's always his his call for Israel, be faithful. And he's making a covenant with them. And he says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So that's the message he gets from God. He goes back down and he tells the nation of Israel what God has done, what they are called to be. And God's about to make a covenant with them. Uh, Then in verse seven, it says, so Moses came and called the elders of the people, set before them all the words which Yahweh had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that Yahweh has spoken, we will do. Now, notice that he hasn't told them what to do yet. They're just saying, we will be a kingdom of priests. We will be your holy nation. We will be your people. You will be our God. Does that make sense? Uh, and Moses brought back the words of the people to Yahweh. So he takes, again, not that God needed Moses as a mediator, but this is just Moses' role as a mediator between them and, and God. Um, and it says, and Yahweh spoke to Moses, behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. So part of God showing up in fire and darkness in his glory for them to see is both for them to have. You're going to see this to have a fear of him so that they do follow him. But so they will also believe what Moses is going to tell them because he's going to deliver to them this whole law. And, and again, you're going to see he's going to go up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and, and he's just going to disappear. And he's going to come back down with this covenant that God is making with them. And part of him showing up in his glory is so that they will believe what Moses says because they know that God is there and God is giving this to Moses. Um, and it says, uh, then, then Moses told the words of the people to Yahweh. Verse 10, Yahweh also said to Moses, go to the people and set them apart as holy today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, Yahweh will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So again, there's a three day preparation. Go bathe, wash your clothes, consecrate yourselves and come before the Lord. Uh, And he says, and you shall set bounds for the people all around saying, beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Uh, No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or, or, or shot through whether beast or man. He shall not live when the ram's horn sounds a long blast. They shall come up to the mountain. So again, setting the parameters. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people. He set the people apart. As holy, they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day, do not go near a woman. So, this is just the whole uh, making them, consecrating themselves, preparing for God to show up. Verse 16 So it happened on the third day when it was morning. Again, there's a lot of uh, information that helps you know when things are happening. That there were, uh, were thunder and lightning flashes, a thick cloud upon the mountain, a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Now, again, 
if you've ever read biblically, you know when God speaks, whether it's in heaven, whether it's the visions in Isaiah or Ezekiel or Revelation, it's, this is, it's always described as rushing waters, uh, wind, like, like tornado-like sounds or, or trumpet blasts. This is just the powerful voice of God. Uh, and it says, And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. So, again, this may be familiar to you, but it may not be. This is when Israel met God and saw Him in His glory. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because Yahweh descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole nation trembled violently. Again, just a a little snippet here. Many times, uh, God does not show up in his glory many times, but when he ratifies both the Mosaic covenant, uh, you know, um, when he, uh, uh, what am I trying to, I'm, I'm forgetting something here. There's another ratification. Oh, well, with the new covenant, you know, in the new covenant, there's three hours of darkness at the cross. And I think the best biblical answer for that is that's the presence of God showing up to pour out his wrath on his son during that time. But here when God shows up, he shows up in fire and dark. Oh, Abrahamic covenant. When God, God puts Abraham to sleep and he shows up, it's flaming torches and a darkness that fell over the land that, 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 um, um, uh, that, Basically, uh, when God showed up to ratify the Abrahamic covenant and cut a covenant with Abraham, he showed up with fire and darkness. Here he shows up again in fire and darkness. Uh, And uh, it's just the glory of God descending upon the mountain. And it says, um, the mountain trembled violently, verse 19, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. And Yahweh came down on Mount Sinai. So again, this is not typical of God and his interaction with mankind. This is very, very uh, uh, miraculous and magnificent. And it's meant to be that way so that Israel understands his nature and that they, they fear him. It says he came down to the top of the mountain and Yahweh called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. So no one else goes up. Everyone else stays at the bottom. No one t- comes near the mountain, but Moses goes up. And then Yahweh spoke to Moses and says, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to Yahweh and see, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to Yahweh set themselves apart as holy, lest Yahweh break out against them. And so Moses uh, and Moses said to Yahweh, the people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain and set it apart as holy. And then Yahweh said to him, Go down and come up again, and you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to Yahweh, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So that's the whole setting. And then the Ten Commandments. This is what we read last week. So Moses is down there. He's probably warned them what God says. And as he's doing this or when he's done with that, God speaks audibly from the mountain to the people. It says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, Yahweh, am uh, uh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Again, understanding the historical narrative, I mean, just put yourself in your mind in that place. Like the, the fire and the darkness of the glory of God and this thunderous sound coming out, speaking audible words that the people of Israel hear these words and hear God's covenant and hear the commands of God. 
He says, you shall not take the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain. For Yahweh will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of Yahweh, your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your cattle, your sojourner who is within your gates. For six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which Yahweh, your God, gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or your male slave or female slave or his ox or his donkey or anything belongs to your neighbor. And all the people perceive the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking and the people perceived it and they shook and stood at a distance. And then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us lest we die. So there's a fear. There's an understanding of the power and the majesty of God and a fear that has been instilled in them as these words were spoken to them audibly by God. It makes it mean a lot more. It's not just this is some stuff Moses told him and here's how you run your nation. God audibly spoke from the mountain in all of his glory and fire and darkness with the thunderous boom of his trumpet voice. And then the people were terrified and they and they understand Moses's role at this point. Be our mediator. And and uh, and again, and, and so Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you and in order that you that the fear of him may be with you so that you may not sin. Again, part of this, this is for your good. It's the fear of the Lord that drives us to holiness and the fear of the Lord that drives us to want to be close to God. The last thing you want to do is be on the opposite side of that fire and darkness, right? Against the one who will destroy sin and sinners. You want to be as close to him as possible. And uh, it says, um, so the people stood at a distance. Moses came near to the dense gloom where God was. And then Yahweh said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You shall not make other gods besides me, gods of silver, gods of gold. You shall not make for yourselves. Actually, we'll we'll stop right there. That's a good place to end. Verse 22. Yahweh said to Moses, thus you you shall say to the sons of Israel. And actually, verse 21. He he came into the gloom where God was and the people stood at a distance. Because this is where he's going to give them, give Moses more words, more of the covenant to bring back to the people. But again, do you see, you can just read it and not understand that some of this they heard audibly from God. Some of this, uh, Moses is the mediator between God and them. But now when you read Deuteronomy 5, and I don't know if I put it up there or not, you see you see what Moses is talking about here. Um, in Deuteronomy 5, verses 22 to 29, it says, These words Yahweh spoke to all your assembly. So we just finished the Ten Commandments. And these people would have remembered that. The ones that were, you know, what, 20 years or 19 years and younger probably would have remembered that day. The other ones would have heard about it. I mean, God showed up in fire and darkness on the mountain. He said these words, the words. That's what the, 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 the 10 words, the 10 commandments, the Decalogue. It says, these words Yahweh spoke to all your assembly at the mountain from the midst of the fire uh, of the cloud and of the dense gloom with a great voice. And he added no more. It goes on to say, he wrote, he wrote them on two tablets of stone and he gave them to me. 
Now it happened that when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, behold, Yahweh, our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen today that God speaks with man, yet he lives. So now then, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of Yahweh, our God, any longer Then we will die. So you see the fear and the reverence that they have. They understand this is God. Um, And it says, for who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? As for you, Moses, go near and hear all that Yahweh our God says and then speak to us all that Yahweh our God speaks to you and we will hear and do it. And Yahweh heard the voice of your words. Sorry, I should have been doing this. Yahweh heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And Yahweh said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments all the days that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. Again, I hope that was helpful to read all of that because I feel like understanding in the context of what happened not only allows you to see the 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 majesty and the amazing thing that just happened, but it helps you to see the fear that these people had, uh, the fear of Yahweh God. It helps you to see Yahweh saying his name over and over and over. He is distinguished. I am the only one and I am distinct and different than all other gods. And no other God shows up in fire and darkness and speaks audibly because there is no other God. And he's the only one. And, and, and they are the only nation that has ever, ever been able to experience this and have God's actual words given to them and a covenant made with them. So at this point, the audible revelation from God to Israel is over. But there's still more words of the covenant that God will proclaim to his people. Moses, at this point, becomes the mediator between Yahweh God and the people of Israel. And Moses goes up to meet God and to receive the rest of the covenant. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But I think there's three things from these verses to pull out. And we're just going to briefly look at these. But, um, but one of the things that you see here is the permanency of God's word. These Ten Commandments, he says, these, these words Yahweh spoke. To, uh, to all your assembly at the mountain from the midst of the fire and the dense, the cloud and the dense groom with a great voice. He added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. The Lord spoke audibly these 10 commandments to the people of Israel as a whole. And it says he added no more. In other words, they're permanent and they're complete. This is the covenant. These are the 10 words of God given to them. We see this in Deuteronomy 4.2 and Deuteronomy 12.2. Uh, we, we read this in Deuteronomy 4 already. You shall not add to the word which I'm commanding to you, nor take away from it, that you may keep all the commandments of Yahweh your God, which I'm commanding you. And again, in Deuteronomy 12, he says the same thing. Whatever I am commanding you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add nor take away from it. You cannot tamper with God's word. Now, that was what he told Israel. We have the same the same uh, admonition from the Lord in the New Testament. You don't mess with God's word. You, 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 you must take all of it. You can't reject pieces of it that you don't like. You can't add parts to it that you, that you wish he would have said or make it say something that you feel like is more loving or more kind or more whatever you fill in the blank. 
God's word is set. It's permanent. It's complete. The word that he's given to us is the church, the whole word of God and the words that he's given to them. And so he makes it very clear. These are the complete permanent commandments that I give to you. And then he says he even writes them on two tablets of stone. So they're, they're written in stone uh, in, in permanence. On, and God himself wrote it. And I just went through and looked at all the places where he talks about writing on two stone, stone tablets. In Exodus 24, uh, God has written them on two stone tablets. Uh, and he's, he says, I have written this for their instruction. Uh, when um, he had finished speaking to Moses up on the mountain, which we'll get to in a second, he gave Moses the two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone, written by the finger of God. In Exodus 32, uh, Moses comes down from the mountain with the tablets in his hands. They were written on both sides. Um, the tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. I mean, that's, again, directly from God himself, written by God himself. It was these tablets that Moses threw and shattered at the foot of the mountain when, uh, when the Israelites were engaged in worshiping the golden calf, which we'll get at in a little bit. Um, and after all of that, when, you know, there's this, you know, uh, interchange between Moses and, and, and Yahweh and Yahweh's like, I'm going to wipe him out. Moses is like, but you swore to Abraham and, and what would that say about your name and all that? And so God basically says, because of my great name, uh, I will continue to lead them. And then he basically, uh, um, uh, renews the covenant after the, the idol worship, the golden calf. And it says, and then he carved out, he tells Moses, carve out two stones, tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets. The point of that is to say, these Ten Commandments were the permanent word of God given to Israel. The rest of the law is given to Moses by the Lord on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. But these Ten Commandments were the audible word that God gave to Israel that they could not take away or add to, that they must uh, submit to and obey. And this was his covenant relationship with them. The next thing to understand is this whole presence of, of God's glory on the mountain. Again, this is what's said over and over and over here in chapter 5. It's a consuming fire. The people even see the fire of God's presence are afraid that He will consume them. Uh, we talked a little bit about this in Deuteronomy 4. Um, but you see over and over, this is the glory of God. Exodus 24, 16-17. It says, The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai. The clouds covered it for six days. Uh, he called Moses up. It was the appearance that the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Deuteronomy 9, same thing. He says, Therefore know today that the Lord your God who is crossing over before you is a consuming fire. The God you saw on the mountain who filled you with the terror of his presence is the same God that will go before you to destroy all of your enemies. Again, it's like what we talked about. Their ability to do what God has called them to do and to be what God has called them to be is, is completely based on their submission to him and obedience to him. He's the consuming fire that will do his will and his work. They must be faithful to him and listen to his words. God is the one that will destroy their enemies. God is the one that will subdue, subdue them um, and so that they would be able to drive them out and to destroy them quickly. And again, it, it gives you context and makes it make more sense when we read in Hebrews 12 that, that, uh, that God is a consuming fire. And understanding, I mean, in Hebrews 12, it talks about the same Yahweh God and refers back to, um, to, to Israel and talks about this event where he shook the, the earth with his voice and promised um, uh, these things. And the very end, it says, therefore, since we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us with gratitude by which I'm sorry, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and all for our God is a consuming fire. 
again, because we're so far removed from the experience and sometimes because we get so used to messages and, 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 and God's word without the visibly seeing it, we forget the majesty and the power and the greatness of God. This is why it's so important to, to, to read his attributes and to spend time meditating on who he is and, and, uh, and understanding the greatness and the power and the majesty of God. Um, because God is a consuming fire. In fact, in his commentary, Daniel Block talking about this says, Yahweh is a consuming fire before whom mortals rightfully recoil. He is a consuming fire before whom acceptable service will always arise out of a deep reverence and awe. The proper human disposition before the glorious and gracious God remains fear, the deep sense of awe in his presence, which alone will produce acceptable liturgical response and the worship of daily obedience. Where there is no fear... There is no sense of obligation and no sense of gratitude that we have stood in the presence of God and lived to tell about it. Without fear, the privileged life of obedience is reduced to a burdensome duty. And again, you can examine your own walk with Christ right now. When we fear Him, not only do we desire to be as close to Him as possible and the stuff of this world just seems meaningless, but the fear of the Lord is what also keeps us from evil. It's the fear of the Lord that drives us towards holiness, that keeps us from sinfulness, that fix our allegiance on Him, and that, that grows our love of Him. In fact, one of the new covenant promises is that He will put His fear within us so that we will love Him and obey Him and follow Him. Without the fear of the Lord, it's just a hollow religion. And without the fear of the Lord, it just becomes burdensome duties that we're called to do. Some sort of outward manifestation of something that inwardly is not even true and there's no substance. And so, again, whether you're Israel seeing the fear from the mountain, seeing God's glory from the mountain, which produces a fear within you that causes you to say whatever he says we will do. You just go between us whatever he says we will do. We need to still have that same fear. Does that make sense? And so, again, we've never experienced that. We weren't at the mountain But we need to understand who he is and have that same fear of the Lord that drives us to holiness and to righteousness and to faithfulness. And that's what happened for the Israelites. That's the next big thing in Deuteronomy 5. They proclaim their faithfulness to him. They see the fire. They see the darkness. They hear the audible sound, the trumpet, the, the, the thunder, the voice of God. And they they say whatever he says, we will do. There's an immediate broke or a humility, an immediate uh, fear that causes them to say that they will follow him. Now, we have the advantage of divine insight and history to see what happened. And it's easy to say that the words of the Israelites didn't match their commitment, right? Because it didn't take very long before they, I mean, like literally days that he's going to be up on the mountain for 40 days and nights. And they're going to begin to worship another God immediately. And so you can look at that and be like, well, they're... Their, their words were hollow or their words weren't true or whatever. But again, apply that same standard to yourself and be broken by it. I mean, how many times have you sworn allegiance and loyalty and I will follow and I will mortify the sin and I will be devoted to you wholeheartedly or whatever it may be. And it takes minutes or days for you to be either distracted or lured in by some other thing that ends up meaning more to you. So again, I'm just saying, pull it back. Look at Israel. Absolutely, they're an example of do not do this. But then apply that standard to your own heart and go, do I fear the Lord? And is the fear of the Lord is what's driving me 
to, to that, that wholehearted devotion and love for him and commitment to him. Because it's easy to do what they did. I mean, again, if we saw fire and darkness and the voice of God talking right now, I bet you every one of us in here would be like, we will follow you the rest of our life. You know, it's like, I mean, it would be terror. But then you just remove the, the visible presence or even get used to the visible presence. I mean, because they, they could still see it when they began to worship idols. Um, and just, again, like I said, look at your own life. And rather than, um, you know, like I said, we have the advantage of seeing what happens. But here's the thing, too, that to, to look at here. The Lord hears their words and doesn't rebuke them openly. He could, right? They say, we will follow you. And he said, yeah, we'll see. You know, that's going to last a few days. But he doesn't. In fact, the, the, the Lord says they, they've responded in the exact right way. Their words were exactly the words that should have come out of their lips. And he even looks at it and says, oh, if they only had such a heart to be able to follow me. The commitment, the loyalty, the resolve to obey the Lord uh, comes from this experience that they're having. And when Israel moves to the everyday, ordained, mundane things of life, they quickly forget their words. They forget the fear of the Lord and they forget um, what, what God has done for them. Again, in Deuteronomy 5, 27, he says, um, they say to, to, to Moses, you go near, you talk to Yahweh God, whatever he says, we will hear and do it. In Exodus 24, 3, they say it's the same thing. All the words Yahweh has spoken, we will do. And again, God says, Yahweh God says, they've done well in what they've spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart that they would fear me and keep all my commandments all their days. And it would be well with them and their sons forever. This is just God himself just articulating the need for Jesus Christ and the new covenant, a transformed heart. This is exactly what God has promised uh, he will do through the new covenant. In fact, again, in the context of this, when you read new covenant language in the Old Testament, it makes the most sense. Um, The new covenant is needed for them to have a heart that would be able to fear him all their days and to keep all of his commandments. And and it would be the very thing that will allow them to be in the land that would be a blessing for them and their sons forever. Uh, They need the spirit of God. They need a a new heart uh, that comes from his mercy and his grace and his love, which is only possible through what his son did on the cross by dying for our sins and and, and ratifying this new covenant that that allows us uh, to, to have a new heart, to be born again. Uh, Daniel Block, again, I, th- I thought he had some really good quotes about this. He says, Yahweh's longing for, for constancy of devotion reminds us of the fundamental depravity of the human heart. Moses knows only too well how short-lived will be the Israelites' fearful disposition. While in Deuteronomy ten sixteen, he will call on the Israelites to circumcise their hearts. Ultimately, he will declare in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, that this too involves the divine act of grace. And we've already talked about that. In the end, God calls them to a standard that they cannot do. And he calls them to obedience and faithfulness that they cannot do on their own. All that should have done is showed them that we can't do this. And we are 100% dependent on God for everything. And we need a great high priest, a perfect sacrifice. We need God himself to intercede for us and to allow us to, to change who we are so that we can do these things. That's the, the, the point of all of this. Uh, but he says people with hearts of stone rebel against God and insist on their own ways. Those with circumcised hearts fear God and walk in his ways. Um, and again, this is new covenant language. When, when you read that, 
And then you go over to Ezekiel 36, if you want to do this real quick. Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Reading, reading what he just said about their hearts and reading what he has called them to be. And then you read the New Covenant language. You see what God, you see that Israel understood this in a way that you don't grasp minus the context of the Mosaic Covenant. In, in Ezekiel 36, starting in verse, we'll start in verse 22. This is, and think about this, this is, this is after Babylon has already destroyed, I mean, this is after the third wave of Nebuchadnezzar, Israel is gone, the, the nation is gone, the throne is gone, the temple is gone, the priests are gone. It looks like God's promises to Abraham and to David and to the priests are completely like uh, nullified and obliterated. And God says here in Ezekiel 36, this is just part of exactly what he's doing. And something must happen before uh, that, you know, they can be in the land and be blessed. He says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Again, this is taking the Lord's name in vain. That's all they have done. He says, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. Yahweh declares the Lord. Um, uh, when I prove myself holy among you in their sights. Look at this. For I will take you from the nations. I will gather you from all the lands. I will bring you into your own land and I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. Again, that's what God is saying here in Deuteronomy 5. Oh, if they only had a heart to be able to do this. Now in Ezekiel, he's saying, I will give you the heart to be able to do this. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers so that you will be my people and I will be your God. Moreover, I will save you from all your uncleanness and I will call you uh, for your... uh, for the grain, uh, for the grain to multiply it, I will not bring a famine on you. I will multiply the fruit of the trees, the produce of the field, so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. Again, when we read the new covenant promises, a lot of times we leave out the famine part and the grain part because it makes no sense to us spiritually as Christians in this church. But when you read it in the context, he's talking about Abrahamic covenant promises. And he's talking about the blessings that will come through their faithfulness to him through the Mosaic covenant. God is basically saying through Christ and the new covenant that he will ratify on the cross, I will redeem my people Israel. And it's going to be Christ himself that's the king that's going to do this. It's going to be Christ himself who is Yahweh, who brings them back in. It is Christ who will accomplish all of this because Christ and Christ alone has the ability and the authority to do it. And it's not just spiritual blessings. They will literally come back into the land and the land itself will produce grain and there will be no more famine and he will be with them and they will be his and they will never stray from him again. He says, you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. You will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and abominations. I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to 
to be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of being a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes by. And they will say, this desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste, desolate, and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. And the nations that are left around uh, round about you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. I will increase their men like a flock, uh, like the flock for sacrifice and like the flock of, at Jerusalem during her appointed feast so that so so will the waste cities be filled with the flocks of men and they then they will know that I am the Lord it says in the NSB but it says I am Yahweh and so again this is what he when he talks about them having such a heart that they would fear him he also knows full well that this is what he will do through his son to his nation and he will bring them back into the land for now, Moses will be the mediator between Yahweh God and the nation of Israel. Um, and and then the rest of Deuteronomy 5 here is just preparing God's people for the rest of the words of the covenant, which is what we're going to see in Deuteronomy 6 through 29. He's going to give them more words that God has given to Moses on the mountain to give to the nation of Israel so they know how to be his people. So they know how to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation unto God. Um, but... I just think that that right there, that whole, if they had such a heart in them, is such, so important. Not only because we are now recipients of this new covenant blessing. We as the church have been grafted into this blessing of God. And we now have received the Holy Spirit. We now have received new hearts if we're of Christ. We now have the ability to believe, the ability to follow, the ability to obey, the ability to love God. And all that is part of the blessing of the new covenant. But the things that he has promised in these new covenant promises have not occurred in the way that he said them. It's like it has begun and we are recipients of it. But there are major implications of the new covenant, especially with the land promises, the promises of David and the king and all the things that have to happen to the nation of Israel that haven't taken place. That are just going to be part of those blessings that Christ will bless all of the earth as he brings them back into the land and does all of these things for his people, Israel. But all that being said, just finish Deuteronomy 5, 30 through 33. He says, go say to them, Moses, Yahweh is saying to Moses, go say to Israel, return to your tents. But as for you, stand here by me. So Moses, you stand here that I may speak to you, to Moses, all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments, which you, Moses, shall teach to them, that they may do them in the land which I give them to possess. So you shall be careful to do just as Yahweh, your God, has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. Uh, in all the way which Yahweh your God has commanded you, you shall walk that you may live and that you may be, uh, it may be well with you and you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess. And again, I feel like we've kind of covered this in Deuteronomy 4. We talked about in Deuteronomy 4 that their success and their ability to remain in the land and the blessings of the Lord are all dependent upon their submission and obedience to God and His covenant commands. Um, we read that in Deuteronomy 4, 1 through 2, uh, which I did not put up here. But in Deuteronomy 4, 1 through 2, he says, Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I'm teaching you to perform, that you may live and go in, take possession of the land. You shall not add a word to them, nor take away. 
keep the commandments of the Lord. And over and over and over, you're going to see this throughout Deuteronomy. You're going to see things like listen, perform, do, do not, uh, or, or always keep, do not take away, do not add. Uh, I've taught you these things, do these things. Give heed, keep your soul diligently. Now watch yourselves carefully. He was going to say over and over and over, perform these things. Um, do not forget the words that you have been given. So throughout Deuteronomy, that's always the call in this, in this covenant relationship. And like we said, this is supposed to happen every seven years for the nation of Israel. Every seven years, they're supposed to be reminded of this event, reminded of these words, reminded of their relationship with God, reminded why God brought them out and what he's doing with their nation, reminding them of their mission to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation unto God amongst all the nations of the earth. It was supposed to be a reminder every seven years of what God has done and what he is doing and what they're called to be. And the call is always listen and keep, listen and do. You keep these commands and you uh, and, and God will be the one that, that blesses you and takes care of you. And again, the direct application to us is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ says to the church in the New Testament. He says over and over and over, if anyone keeps my word, then he will never see death. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, then he's rejecting Christ and does not receive my sayings. He says he has one who will judge him. The word which I spoke will judge him at the last day. Again, even with us as the church, it's listen to his words. Keep his commands. Whatever he has spoken to us, we listen and we do. It's still faithfulness. And in fact, that's what Jesus says about love and loyalty to him. Our love of the Lord is manifest in our submission and obedience to everything that he's commanded us. And Jesus says that. If you love me, you will keep my commands. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one that loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He who does not love me does not keep my words. It's the heart of the whole thing. It's just like Christ said. that The greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself is the second, right? On that depends all the law and the prophets. That's always the heart of it. And so again... I think the greatest thing that we can pull out of Deuteronomy 5 at the very end here are are these things. First and foremost, do you fear the Lord, Yahweh, your God? Do you listen to what He has revealed to you in His holy word? This is just as divine as the audible voice that came from Mount Sinai that day. A lot of times we think, if I just heard His voice, yet there'd be a greater fear. But, you know, Peter says, we have the divine revelation. This, this is greater than any experience that you could ever have. We have the prophetic word made more sure than any experience that you could have. You know, when, when, when in the whole parable, when the Lazarus goes to, to you know, the Lazarus and the, um, the rich ruler and the rich ruler goes to hell. And, and he's like, if, if you could just send word back to my brothers and tell them what's going on. And Jesus says to him, they have Moses and the prophets. If that's not enough, then even if someone rose from the dead to tell them about the afterlife, it wouldn't change anything. And it's the same thing with us. You can't ever stand before God and be like, well, if I was just there, if I just seen that mountain in fire and darkness and heard the audible voice of God, I would have been more faithful. I would have been more loyal to you. I would have had that fear welling up in me that would have driven me to faithfulness to you. God would say, I have given you so much more. You have all of the revealed will and word of God given to mankind in this present age. And he's given it to us. We got it on our phones. We got it. I mean, we're talking about it right now. You got books that have it. In. We have God's word handed to us, the church. And he calls us to the same standard. 
Be faithful. Listen to everything I say. Keep your soul diligently. Keep my words. Those who keep my commands love me. Those who do not keep my commands do not love me. Love is obedience to the Lord. Love is submission to Him. Love is trusting Him and following Him faithfully, being loyally devoted to Him in all things. And all of us know in our hearts and our minds the things that either hinder that loyalty or are always pushing against that, right? And so it's our job to forsake the idols, those things in this world. Just, again, look at the example of Israel and do not do what they did. Listen to every word that He has given to us. Submit to Him in wholehearted uh, obedience and devotion to Him and, and follow Him. And, and is that hard? Absolutely. And there's many things in this life that are going to uh, impede on that or strive to, to keep us from following Him. But He's given us His word. He's put His Spirit within all of His children to equip us to do that. Christ intercedes for us from heaven, the will of the Father, and, 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 and communicates with the Spirit within us. And then He surrounds us with the body of Christ all around us, which is meant for our to admonish us and to keep us on the path, to encourage us, to help us, to edify us, so that we all are growing more in our understanding of Jesus Christ, more in our imitation of Jesus Christ. That's, those are all the blessings He's given to us. So, all that being said, I hope that's uh, helpful. Um, yeah, we got like five minutes. Do you have any questions here at the very end? I know I told you we'll try to do Q&A, but whatever. <laughs> that never happens. I guess if you have any questions, you can come see me afterwards. But I hope that was uh, a blessing. I hope that was encouraging and, and helpful. Let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray that you just help us. Help us to see... Uh, this, you know, the, the, the presence of God on the mountain to see uh, all the things that you have done for Israel, to see these things, and then to recognize that we have been given so much more and we are so blessed uh, with your word, with the church, with, with Christ and what he has done on the cross. Help us uh, to examine our hearts and our lives. Help us to, uh, to cast away any idols in our life. Help us to put off the old and put on the new and to follow Jesus Christ with with um, wholehearted devotion and help us to see that we can do none of this on our own. We are 100% dependent upon Christ doing this work in us, but you have called us to faithfulness and you've called us to obedience. And so help us to follow you and walk in a manner worthy of Christ. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. Thank you guys.